You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning and welcome to the Dean's Class. Delighted to have you with us this morning. Uh, I'm going to interview Carolyn Langford. Uh, Carolyn is a familiar face for many of you, uh, and she, in her latest iteration of the Advent, (laughs) is the uh, Interim uh, Director of Women's Ministry. And so we're going to learn a little bit more about Carolyn today and uh, a little bit more about what women's ministry looks like during times of COVID. But before we go there, let's go to the Lord. Please. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, the harvest is still ripe. And even though we may not be able to run the tractors that we would normally run and to do the things we would normally do, uh, Lord, harvesting is to be done. And so that requires extra work, uh, whether that be uh, physical or emotional. But, Lord, we know that you are able uh, to sustain us in this work. And so, Lord, lift up our heads where we're discouraged. And, Lord, uh, firm up uh, the convictions that are of you and that your Holy Spirit would speak even this morning, and that we might be ministered to by him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Carolyn, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Uh, you've you've uh, served at the Advent in, in a number of employee capacities, but I wonder, spiritually, you tell us about your upbringing, how you came to know the Lord, and, um, and then how you kind of came into the Advent. Okay. Um, and you know you're asking someone with some considerable years under her belt, so I'll be very abbreviated. Um, I grew up in Homewood, Alabama, and um, attended All Saints Episcopal Church with my family. I was very blessed to have parents that were at the church every time it was opened. They were very involved. We did not miss a Sunday. I actually got escorted to my parents' car one Sunday in my slip with my mother carrying my dress because we were not going to be late. Um, It was a very safe place. It was definitely one where everybody knew everybody else. I couldn't get away with anything. I always got caught and reprimanded and told on. Um, It was a, a very powerful teaching by doing on what church is in a person's life, except for the fact that we were not hearing the gospel. Um, I don't say that in judgment. I don't say that um, like poor, poor, pitiful me in a way, but that's just not what was being um, distributed at that time in the Episcopal Church in um, the 70s. Uh, We got all kinds of moral teaching. We got all kinds of encouragement to love and to serve, but we did not spend time in Scripture, and we were not given um, the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I left there and went to Suwannee, the University of the South, Um, immediately stopped going to church because no one went to church, and uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a school owned by the Episcopal right, Church. Right, where the man uh, married to who had been there 10 years earlier, you know, he was required to go. So a lot had changed in that time too. But I did not go to church on Sunday. And then after taking my required religion 111 course, I fell in love and that became my major. Um, which is looking back on it, you know, seeing now what God was doing He was giving me a knowledge of the scripture without any love or conviction for the scripture. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. So it was very interesting. I um, went from not really knowing the scripture at all because it hadn't been given to me as a child to all of a sudden being a scholar, you know, a very amateur one, but seeped in it to sort of dissect it, take it apart, understand it, consider who might have actually written this, or did Jesus really say that, or was Paul, you know, it was all a very critical approach to the body of Scripture. And I, ta- I learned just enough to be dangerous and also probably left there um, an unacknowledged agnostic. Hmm. Um, I think I could have been very comfortable uh, being someone that said, well, you know, if the resurrection really didn't happen, that doesn't really change the importance hmm. of the Gospels. It's, you know, what Jesus taught us. Right. So, um, again, I wish I had, a, you know, a light switch moment. I'm right. definitely a long, slow arc. <clears throat> um, but through some years and a little graduate school and then returning to Suwannee to work for the EFM program, um, I came to a place of just a little light of faith. Um, I really came to a place where, yes, I am a Christian. This is where I want to be. This is who I want to belong to. Um, But I still had a very um, critical relationship with the Scripture. I still sort of read it, and if I liked it and it made sense to me, I took it in. If it offended me or it didn't make sense to me, I redacted it. Um, And I felt like that was the way to be in a relationship with Scripture. Mm. And um, I was very much um, just sort of a parochial uh, Christian and and continued to be someone that studied it a lot. So there was um, a method to Larry Gibson's madness when I actually applied to be the director of Christian education here at the Advent in 1988. Mm. And I was interviewed, and um, I was hired. And I had um, responsibility for the nursery all the way through adult education. It was crazy. Can you imagine one person doing that now? No. No. Um, So... Um, that's when God really began much more of a active, stretching, at times painful work in me because I suddenly found myself landed in a community of people who did not take their faith as casually as I did and certainly didn't take the scripture as casually as I did or or as critically as I did. And I was working for them. You know, I was in charge of the curriculum for their children and um, coming up with speakers for, you know, we only had two, maybe three adult classes on a Sunday morning, and one was always the dean's class. Of course, I had no dominion over that. Um, And I found that um, I couldn't really argue my way out of some of the ways in which I tended to operate. Hmm. They needed to be changed. They needed to be corrected. 
Um, and so that was a real stretching time for me, a very humbling time for me. I mean, it was a combination of being young and dumb and also being ill-equipped, but ready and willing. And then um, pretty soon after that, I got married to Frank, met him Mm -hmm. here. Um, And then uh, about three three years later, I retired to have our first child, Fred. So came back a couple of years later sharing the job with Fran Cade. And again, just that, and during that time, being someone who sat in the pew, like the rest of us, um, and really hearing the word and going to Bible studies as a participant and not as someone who was organizing them and arranging them, um, I just felt this strange warmth growing up inside of me, and I, I, I didn't even really know what to do with it. But the Lord kept putting people in my life um, that were not going to let me go mm-hmm. and were going to work with me and shape me. And um, I think it's so important who we, who we spend our time with. Yeah. The influence is incredible. So th- do you want me to continue? I mean, yeah, well, let's, s- let's stop on a couple things. Yeah, I do want right. to pick up. Um, you bring up a really interesting point about how you how you approach the scriptures, and that you could genuinely say you had a love for the Bible because you had a, a, a deep interest in the Bible, but how you know how just having a lot of information about the Bible doesn't necessarily translate into godliness, right, uh, or or devotional life. And that's not just a criticism against a sort of revisionist liberal approach to the Bible. That can very much be the case, too, in a very conservative evangelical environment uh-huh. where people think, well, I'm not smart enough to do that. You know, I don't have all this head knowledge. And people will say to me and you, like, well, I'm not trained. I don't have the degrees that you right. do. Um, but actually, just having a head full of information isn't, doesn't translate into no. relationship. No. It's important. Uh, right. In the relationship, it's important in the relationship. It doesn't necessarily just because you know the least sanctifying event that ever happened in my life is going to seminary. Huh? I've <laughs> and, heard that before. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I think it's very telling that you know you drive around town and you see people have uh, they have bumper stickers for where they went to college. They might have a bumper sticker if they went to a particular high school. I'll give you a hundred dollars for every bumper sticker you can see that has a seminary. Uh, you know, interesting. Uh, on it. You know, even people uh-huh. who said, yeah, it was, it was fine. It's just sort of, um, it is sanctifying in the sense that it kind of undoes you a little bit in all the good ways, but it doesn't necessarily help you understand that just because you've taken the classes and that it, that it means anything and your experience of having, and again, not casting judgment, but even someone who has gone through three years of seminary, that didn't translate into sharing the word with a congregation. Right. And, and that's regardless of theological stripe. I mean, right. I hear a lot of conservative preaching that is, that is not very biblically oriented. It's more of a transmission of ideas right. than it or is Or feeling. That. Right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> you've been in staff positions where you really are trying to cultivate uh, a love for God's Word, above all, a love for God, and, and to get children through adulthood uh, to to point them back 
to the scriptures. And so it sounds to me that you began to develop that for yourself personally while being in the pew and that it wasn't a lightning strike moment, but, but as time went on, all of a sudden you found your orientation shifted of kind of standing over the scriptures, but under the scriptures. Exactly. Is that, that is exactly what happened. And it was, it was painful. And, and, and then it also extremely freeing. But I had just long had it drilled into my head that we stand over the scripture and we make the scripture make sense to us. Mm-hmm. And that we, um, we receive it, we digest it, and we keep what works and we reject the rest. And to come to a place to completely know how wrong that was and that, no, I stand under the Scripture. The Scripture tells me who I am. Um, it digests me right. and not the other way around. And, and to realize that, and then two things happened after that, this incredible sense of freedom, which I just mentioned, and then the biggest surprise of all, the Scripture holds up. What used to seem to me the fallacy or, well, Scripture couldn't have anticipated this particular moment in society. It just didn't address it. No. In fact, Scripture holds up to everything. It, um, it foresees, it, it calls, it, it proclaims, and it is the truth of everything. And one of the things that also God was so good to me is putting into my life teachers, bearers, um, uh, proclamators Mm -hmm. of the scripture who could hold their own with anybody and and really uh, just broke it open for me. And that I could, I could trust that. I could rest in that. It was where I should land, mm. where I should live. Mm. And that was, um, that was probably, if I, there had to be a transforming moment. It was truly when I got right about what Scripture was and who I was. Yeah, that's, your, your experience <clears throat> is, um, is not uncommon, but it's, it's a bit unusual. Um, you know, normally people who articulate the view of Scripture that you're now articulating and that you hold in confidence, um, or with confidence rather, uh, those are people who normally come from a uh, sort of free church background that <laughs> find their way into Anglicanism and they kind of bring that yeah, that's true. with them. And, yeah. you know, so often there's the accusation of, well, that's not really what Episcopalians believe. Um, but you, you grew up uh, in the Episcopal Church. You went to the University of the South. You worked for EFM. I mean, you, you had the Episcopal I did. resume. <clears throat> and, and so I wonder if you can give us some examples, uh, in partic- if there were particular moments, and even if you wanted to testify to certain individuals that God placed in your life that began to open up the Scriptures for you. Mm. Yeah, um, there there is a good list of them. Um, I would I would name Paul Zoll as um, he started it. Mm-hmm. You know, as children like to say, "Well, he started it." Right. Well, I would say Paul Zoll started it. Mm-hmm. Um, he he, I don't really 
give him the voice in my head that scripture is your authority, but he's the voice in my head that said, this is a heart thing, it's all about grace, Mm -hmm. and it's all about sin. Mm -hmm. And those were two words that I just didn't spend a lot of time in. Mm -hmm. Um, I was much more comfortable with the word mistake or misguided or on the wrong track, you know, just this whole um, condition of sin. I I just, do we really have to go there? And so likewise, I had a very small understanding of grace because if you're not that sinful, then you don't really need that much grace. And I never would have articulated it that way in that time of my life. I don't know what words I would have used. I'm, I'm speaking as someone on the other side of that. But Paul Zoll really kind of broke into that place in my life where I wasn't really willing to go. And it's like Tim Keller says, you know, realizing that I really, how really, really bad I am, and then also at the same time realizing how incredibly loved right. I am by something outside of me. Yeah. And then Frank Limehouse, he's, I, he's the one that probably really jerked me into the right hmm. understanding of what Scripture was. His allegiance to its authority, um, his unflinching um, regard for it, and the fact that he would not let anything get in the way of that being what we heard mm-hmm. in the pulpit and in our classes, um, that I, I, he's responsible for that. I, th- I also am sure that I got where I got to and I stayed where I stayed in large measure my years at Beeson. Hmm. Uh, I worked at Beeson Divinity School, as you know well, for eight and a half years. And so it was the voices that were not Anglican that really, again, edified me. Robert Smith... Timothy George, mm-hmm. um, Mark Gentilette. I, I got to give a shout out to my friend. Yeah. Um, and he's certainly one of those where I thought, man, he's, if, if he believes this, if he, if he um, bows to Scripture, there has got to be something to it. Yeah. And I could name a lot of other names. And it was just names that I don't even remember, but I would hear preach at our Tuesday chapel services. And they were just full of God's word and unapologetic and that was the prime visitor in the room. Um, There was very little liturgy, if any. Um, There was certainly no prayer book and yet what I would receive was just life-changing. Right. And, and so you, you were at Beeson uh, for a good number of years, and you, you did a, a great job of uh, helping local congregations and congregations um, beyond Birmingham uh, relate to Beeson and to be, have a, a more intimate, invested relationship. Right. And, uh, but, you know, that was, I'm sure that that was really fulfilling work, um, that you were supporting uh, the ministry of the Word. But, but what led you to say, you know, I, I think it's probably time for me to lay mm. down this, and I'm actually interested in being back into mm. sort of a word-based ministry rather than just simply supporting it. Yeah, well, again, I, I, 
so much of that happened to me as, it, as I orchestrated it. But I did have, I guess in the last year, two years of my time at Beeson, I had this nagging voice in my head, you have another chapter, and I want you more intentionally my servant, mm -hmm. um, my agent. And I was like, okay, Lord, um, I'm willing, but it's got to be a godly place. I'm not leaving Beeson Divinity School mm -hmm. to go to some, start something somewhere. Right. I'm, I'm too spoiled where I am. And um, I, I don't know that I want it to be long-term, Lord. Um, <laughs> I'm married to this older guy, no offense, Frank. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know that I need another 10-year right. con commitment so I'm bargaining with them. You know, this is just going on apropos of nothing. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm willing if, Lord. Oh, it's just shameful to think of my arrogance during all of that. And how he kept delivering. Because meanwhile, I'm on the discernment committee for who will be the next permanent director of women's ministries. And very invested in that search and very, you know, committed to it being the right person. And even moving along with the committee to a place where, you know, this may take a while. Maybe we need an interim. And really thinking seriously who that might be. Maybe even someone within the congregation. And I had a couple names in my heart and on right. my mind. And it was like, duh. Duh. <laughs> I really got kind of hit in the forehead with, by the Holy Spirit's uh, palm going, hey, maybe that's what I've been talking about. <laughs> maybe right. it's you. So um, I said it out loud for the first time at the end of a discernment committee meeting to Shannon Lisenby. I had never said it out loud at all to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how I got back. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the women's ministry. One, um, you mentioned you're an interim, right. which means that you're here for an indefinite, but, but not too much time um, until we find the right woman uh, for, for the position. And as you were on that search committee and as you're in that position now, uh, tell us what the right woman mm. looks like, because uh, our history has been that... Um, Women's ministry um, kind of over the years of the Advent had been a little bit more sort of social involvement, uh, fellowship oriented. Uh, and then um, when we began to take on uh, ordained women, um, sometimes those women took the lead with um, women's ministry. Sometimes they were just a female presence on the staff. Uh, but then it became very intentional with Heidi Kenner. Right. And then uh, Deborah uh, succeeded uh, Heidi. And so we've had a tradition of those women being ordained, but what are really, what are the qualifications that we're looking for? Yeah. What kind of woman are we looking for to come and to pick up uh, the baton when you mm -hmm. decide to hand it off? Well, I guess too, and I, this is not a, a rabbit hole, but I think ordination in general and um, in our denomination in particular, it's, it's kind of wonky right now. Mm -hmm. It's just, and, and maybe too, it was my eight and a half years at Beeson. I, I'm not 
to me, it's not a woman who is necessarily ordained, but it's a woman who can really preach and teach God's Word. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a tremendous need. I think that men and women need to hear the gospel through the voice of a woman. Um, I think that's kind of the way God created us. Mm -hmm. And I I think in that complimentary way, Mm -hmm. um, we need women who can do that for us. Um, I don't have the gift of preaching, for sure. And um, in my teaching, I... I need a lot of help. I need a lot of preparation. No, I mean, I, I, I know how to do it, but um, I, I know women. I know women um, left and right that they just, that's, they've, they've been called to those ministries and, and they, God has equipped them. I do think the relational aspect of our women's ministries is huge and important in no way would I want to see that diminished. I don't, maybe this is stereotypical, but I don't care. I'm a woman, I can say it. I think we are relational. I think that's how we do the body of Christ together, um, is we gather, we tend to each other, um, we relate to each other, mm-hmm. we share with one another. I think it's real important that we have Bible studies that are women only, mm-hmm. and that we have guilds and groups and gatherings, retreats that are for women. Um, But I think our next director, uh, strong leadership skills, strong relational skills, and then a real gift and a calling with the proper training in her belt Mm -hmm. for preaching and teaching. Uh, So we're we're looking for... uh... God to raise up a woman with conviction, the right convictions, uh, Bible convictions, right? Uh, character, um, uh, a godly woman, uh, but but also competency. Right. Looking for someone who who's able to handle the word and and as Robert Smith would say, I preach so that you can preach. Right. Uh, that type of person. So um, if you're willing, let's peek under the hood for a minute. And um, why has it been difficult for us to find? this person? Hmm. Are standards too high or, or, or what's... Well, I, I don't... Yeah, do good that? question. I think our standards are appropriately high. I don't think they're too high. My, I'll just tell you, and immediately our experience when we did sort of step out into this search, we had a couple of really strong candidates mm-hmm. that I think um, would have been excellent Um, one that comes to mind immediately, she would have, I mean, she just would have been perfect. Um, Her family situation, she didn't live in Birmingham. Um, She's also a mother and a wife, and her children are not grown, and her husband is very invested um, in his work. And it was a practical thing. She couldn't come. Right. Likewise for another really, really strong candidate. Um, Her resume might have been a little bit different, but um, excellent skills, excellent calling. Um, Again, it was her life circumstances that didn't allow it. One of them is ordained. One of them isn't ordained. Um, I thought of some wonderful Beeson graduates that I know that would have been perfect, but for them, it was, more, it was always either their location 
or what was going on in their life. That said, she's out there. Right. I think she's out there, and I think for us to say, well, maybe we just need some of this, and we'll settle so she can be here. I, I really think God has a different idea for us. Yeah, I do too. I'm, I'm heartened to hear you say that um, because it's a really important ministry. Um, and, and the women's ministry here over the past uh, several years has been so strong. And so I wonder if you take a little bit of time to talk about what, what the ministry looks like right now. Mm. Uh, because you came in during COVID. I mean, it's amazing it's, it's to me crazy. that um, we've hired multiple people during COVID. Right. Um, because the ministry is still there, and we're all trying to figure out how to do this together. Um, so what does women's ministry look like right now? That's a good question. And it's changing a, a lot all the time. Um, when I started in June, I would have answered it completely differently. Right. I would have said, I have no idea is what I would have been my answer. Uh, well, first of all, we are making, we're making inroads into finding ways that we can gather in person. I say we. What I mean is... Um, we have, I, would, I won't take the time on camera to count, but I would say five, maybe six weekday Bible studies for women. And what most of them seem to be in kind of a f- hybrid mm-hmm. situation where those who need to Zoom, Zoom, and those who feel comfortable um, assemble safely. Like one I go to is on someone's porch and... Um, she has done the, the good and faithful um, work of making sure that it's easy to be included by Zoom. Um, and that's going on. So in a, what I guess what I'm trying to say in a backwards way is what it looks like right now is there is some interaction person to person mm-hmm. while also still plenty of things that we can't do and we don't do right. because of the pandemic. We are also doing things that is encouraging one-on-one mm-hmm. ministry, that meets such a need, and that really can go untethered now. I, I just think almost anybody can say, yes, I feel safe meeting with you outside in front of O'Henry's, you know, or where, choose your wow. location, and, and a lot can happen in that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, we are also communicating much more regularly through our communications programs. Um, we send out two emails a week, and we're getting um, women to write reflections mm-hmm. that have to do with um, their walk with the Lord at this time, in the, given their circumstances. And they've been really, really wonderful. Yeah. It's been a great way for folks who don't know each other to get to see something about each other. And people have a little more time and a little more space for that, and they're, they're eager to get the next mm-hmm. one. I, I could go on, but that's kind of a fingernail sketch of the outline of what we're doing. Yeah, I, I want to hold that up, not for applause, but just how remarkable it is that when we have a women's ministry who, who has Jesus at the center, and demonstrates the importance of the word, not just talking about it, but that you have women meeting one-on-one with other people 
ministering the word to one another. And, um, and you know, the, being pulled together by the word, not by programs or activities. Right. Um, and so those programs or activities are great. Like, I know we just had Lisa Wheeler come into town, and she... She did a, a what would normally be called the women's fall coffee, but this was well, it was actually coffee. fall luncheon. Fall luncheon, but we had no lunch. But we had no lunch. No coffee. Um, but um, but I think that there was an uh, people were anxious to get back together, yes. and people were were anxious to get. And actually, it turns out that the most important thing that we do, and really the reason why we do what we do, is to gather around God's word. Yes. And yes. It, it's not so. All of a sudden, some of the other things. Um, we might miss them, um, but I feel like there's a spirit of understanding. Um, exactly. And, and it's sort of like, you know, it's, this is what I want to do. And in some ways, like this devotional, I mean, would that would have happened if, if, yeah. it, if not for COVID? No, it wouldn't have. No. Or, or the woman saying, you know, I, never in a million years did I think I'd be calling up another woman saying, hey, do you want to read the Bible with me in front of O'Henry's? Right. Um, and so I, I see God doing a remarkable thing. And even though you're an interim you're not just biding time. I mean, you're, you're actually shepherding the ministry. And so I want to hold up to you, uh, our viewership, um, that, that Carolyn is our pastor for women. Um, she, uh, if, if there's a need that you have and, and you need to talk to a woman, I mean, you're the one to go to. And if you have objections to that, we should talk later. No. <laughs> uh, but I mean, in some ways, you know, it, I can't say to a woman, hey, I'd really like to disciple you over a nice bottle of Pinot. No, uh, you, you know, I no, can't you do can't. that. No. Um, and uh, where, you know, you are equipped and you are in the right place and able to do uh, what, quite frankly, if we didn't have a woman on staff like you, we, our ministry would be diminished. And, um, and so I'm, even, even though you've, you keep being emphatic about the interim uh, on it, you, you really are our directors of women's mm-hmm. ministry, and I'm so glad you're with us. Well, thank you. And I'm, ha- I'm very happy to be where I am. I, I, I feel um, very invested. I feel, um, I feel like this is where God wants me to be. I'm in no hurry. I just, I don't have all the stuff in my toolbox that I will ultimately want the women of the Advent and the men of the Advent right. to have. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you encouraging. Yes, um, we are open for business. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I used the metaphor when we first got into this conversation about me being the interim. You know, I want to keep the lights on. But I, I want the lights on because stuff's going on. Right. I want there to be activity and relationships and new ideas. I mean, I'm working with Tara and Lucy Kate right now on the possibility of doing something with women that's intergenerational. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is not a time, a dormant time at all. It's just a different time, and it's weird, and maybe it's just the right time to have an interim or, you know, have someone that is thinking more about now right. than the big picture. Yeah, well, Carolyn, this has been a really encouraging talk for me um, on, on all kinds of levels, but, but as you say what you've just said, it, it you know, I, I've been pretty discouraged lately, um, especially looking around at, at other churches and other ministries that, that do seem to just kind of be biding their time, waiting until yeah. they can kind of open up. And in our tradition, that tends to be 
we just can't wait to have our normal service on a Sunday, and, and that just can't happen right now. And there are lots of people who are having a hard time adjusting, and um, the expectation is that actually we're going to be in some sort of form like we are right now, maybe until June of 2021. And so to hear you talk about the, the ministry going on and keeping the lights on in order for us to do what God has called us to do and the openness and the flexibility to follow God's lead. And, to, and I think right now our congregation has been great about, you don't hear anybody saying, well, that's not the way we normally do it. Yeah. Because everybody yeah. just understands we can't do it the way right. that we would normally do it. And just a, a, a spirit of, uh, again, doesn't mean we don't miss certain things, right. but the gratefulness of, of being able to be uh, in ministry together around God's Word is fantastic. I agree. It, again, I would think, yeah, there's a graciousness that is in our midst that I feel personally as well as experience externally because we all understand um, there's so many things we can't do, just a new mm-hmm. gra- gratefulness for what we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank uh, let's you, pray Andrew. for Carolyn and the women uh, of our church and uh, the women's ministry to all of us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, we thank you so much uh, that uh, you've never failed us. And even when it seems like you are far off, uh, you're right there. And you promise to never leave nor forsake us. And so, Lord, I thank you for raising up Carolyn and giving her to us as she's on this new tour of duty at the Advent, that she would go from strength to strength, that uh, where she is deficient, that you would step into the gap and that you would raise up women uh, to uh, help her along in this endeavor. And Lord, I do pray uh, for all of our ministries, but especially right now, the women's ministry here at the Advent, that we would keep first things first and that uh, we would not seek so much to be successful as to be faithful. And Lord, that you would use this time Uh, to plow into hearts so that the seeds of the gospel which are sown through this ministry might take deep root and grow unto fruition. Lord, we pray for Carolyn's replacement, whoever she may be. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, continue that work or even begin that work in her heart. And Lord, that you would give us the courage uh, and the insight in order to call that uh, whom you uh, have raised up uh, for this important and godly work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you, Andrew. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.